Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Good morning. Hello, good morning. Oh, yeah, there we go. I see ya. I see ya. Now look who I got with me. Say hi to Mr. Andy in Ohio. Hello. Hello, everybody. I can't tell if you can hear us. If you can hear us, raise your hands. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're walking in late, raise your hands. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Perfect. All right. So Mike and Andy here. Uh, We've been playing the song Reunited a lot. And um, Andy's come out to help set up. Like, if you notice, we've got like an official microphone and official headphones and a new camera. And, um, and so we have, we have the technology. This is glorious. So first of all, welcome to Vox. It is, uh, in Ohio today, it is probably mid seventies, uh, a, a little like white fluffy clouds. It's almost chilly. And I hear you've got just wonderful weather out there yourself. I need to give a shout out to Tony and Becky. Uh, who this is their last day uh, at Vox uh, with us. We're going to miss them. Thank you for everything you've done and contributed to our community. They are leaving the heat of Southern California for Arizona. Oh, wow. So they're, <laughs> they are moving to Arizona. God bless them. Uh, send us postcards of, of you roasting eggs on the sidewalk. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> melting trash cans. <laughs> and melting trash cans. All right, so, so we want to welcome you. If you're new to our community, my name is Mike. This is Andy. We're part of the leadership team here at Vox. Um, I've recently relocated to uh, Ohio, and so Andy has come out to kind of help uh, the technology so that we can do this well. Hopefully next week I will be teaching. Uh, we've got it dialed in enough that I will be able to teach. And so um, I encourage you to bring your pillows, bring your friends, bring your friends' pillows, and um, can't tell if you're laughing or not because I just see the back of your heads. And so uh, I'm assuming there's laughter. I'm assuming there's laughter. But um, up oh, and there is Hannah. <laughs> it's just in case you, you were wondering, this is not filmed previously. Let me just be clear about that. Um, if you're new to our community, a couple of things. The, our website is voxoc.com. And a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to there. Uh, first of all, you can give us your information. You can get on an email list if you'd like. Um, secondly, we do something called a new to Vox dinner. We have one of those this Wednesday, but it's full. And um, uh, But we've got another one coming up in November. So want you, if you would, uh, to go on voxoc.com. If you're new to Vox, sign up for that. It is a meal with our team, and uh, you get to hear a bit more about why we do the things that we do and, and uh, what the heck we're, we're attempting uh, to do in all this craziness. So check that out. Uh, we're also always on the lookout for great questions, and so we got several, several great questions. I'm going to invite Tim Muehlhoff out in just a second. Um, he's got a couple of questions to answer, but before we do, uh, Andy and I are going to take um a, a moment really more me than andy and yeah. i think for obvious reasons um no i'm just kidding I trump uh, theology so. we got yes exactly <laughs> so we got we got a question about something called the nashville statement and if you're not familiar with the nashville statement it was a statement by a lot of male um evangelical types who uh were speaking pretty directly on um sexuality issues transgender issues and uh lgbtq issues and so we've got uh, we'll go ahead and put up the question gary if you would we'll start with this uh question one nashville statement okay that's not a question first of all (laughs) i saw so much anger and satire aimed at it so i read it um, I can see how many would be okay. I can't see the full question. I only see part <laughs> of the slide. So, can Gary. you, can, Gary, can you expand it? Because I got about half the question on my screen right now. So, here's what it says Saw so much anger and satire aimed at it. Oh, read it. Um, I can see how many would be offensive, but I'm not sure that's warranted. Um, so I don't know if you can give me a better view than that, or let's try, let me try to pull this sucker up. All right. So just 
It's a tight ship, folks. It's a tight ship. Uh, in case you were wondering if this is actually live, this is actually live. Um, nope, not that not one. Not that. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. I got it, guys. I got it. We have the technology. All right. Nashville statement. I saw so much anger and satire aimed at it, so I read it. I can see how many would be offended, but I'm not sure that's warranted. The statement affirms the original biblical design of gender and sexuality, complementary, equal, neither lacking, and both image bearers, and mentions the power and love of Jesus to overcome anything broken between God's design and the individual reality. The timing of the release was insensitive, clearly, and the slippery slope could imply another round of pray the gay away theology, I suppose. What are your thoughts? Uh, and we also got a couple of questions about um, Vox's view on uh, LGBTQ issues. And so, so for any of those, rather than try a 30-second unnuanced answer, I want to I wanna, um, uh, give you the opportunity to go, and I'm not publicizing our podcast or anything, but we've spent like four or five, maybe six podcasts on LGBTQ issues. And so if you've not listened to those, that would be a great place to start in terms of what our approach is. But regarding the Nashville statement, you are in luck, questioner. Um, we've got an episode that will be released tonight on the Nashville statement. The short answer is I wouldn't sign it with a 10-foot pen. Um, and and in, in even if the theology is correct, um, I just object to statementing. I object to how it was done, when it was done. I object to the fact that there's no confession or acknowledgement of uh, the church's complicity in the harm of LGBTQ folks. Um, I object to the fact that uh, there's one article, Article 10, that seems to put one's view of marriage and sexuality into the essential for salvation category. Uh, I object to that very, very significantly. Um, and there's there's no warmth, no empathy. If you're a 13-year-old boy, you've got same-sex attractions, um, and your pastor just reads the statement to you. Uh, that does not seem gospely. That just that just seems like boundary focused. And we're not at Vox. Um, we're really not boundary focused kind of people. So uh, I do have lots of thoughts. And yes, people shouldn't be surprised that conservative Christians hold the conservative Christian view. But I think there are more things that are that are concerning about it than just that. So again, not to plug the podcast, but the reason we do the podcast is so that uh, some of these bigger issues can be addressed in a, in a fuller conversation. And we don't feel like ever the podcast is the final word on this stuff. We always want feedback. And so we'd love to hear your thoughts, um, particularly the whoever asked the question. would love you to listen to the, to the podcast, and I would love for you to write back to see. Um, I'd love to hear what you thought. So majorly, majorly contentious issues. The timing of it, of course, was crazy in the sense of it just, I know it was planned months in advance, but it just totally reinforces the issue that evangelical Christians don't care about just Justice, race, tragedy, floods, but they do care about sexuality, and um, and so, so you know, I, I may have rethought that. But I have some dear friends who signed it. I have some people I respect who signed it. Um, so, so there's a bit of nuance that has to go on there that we'll try to capture tomorrow for the podcast. So, um, tune in for that. And uh, again, if you have bigger questions about LGBTQ. Um, uh, issues. Check out, like, is that one of the topics we have on the website, on our website? Uh, yeah, LGBTQ conversations. Okay, yeah. So go to voxpodcast.com. So, so voxoc is the church website, voxpodcast.com. There are subtopics. So there's all, where all the LGBTQ stuff would be would listen. And if there's stuff that we haven't answered there, uh, please feel free to text in and we'd be glad to talk more about it. Now, speaking of of uh, lesser men, uh, speaking of men who are bald but are not as robust in their figure, I want to bring out Tim Muehlhoff. And Tim is a friend of ours. Um, he is kind of a spirit. Oh, you're clapping for him. Fantastic. You're clapping for him. Andy and I get jack squat. Tim walks out, and all of a sudden there's clapping. So, hey, Mike. Oh, look hey, at how Andy. Big Good morning. Wow. Good morning. Good morning. Tim, I had no idea my head was this large. <laughs> I always knew it was this large, actually. I always knew uh -oh. that it was. Oh, hello. Oh. Justina, hello. Hey, we morning. love you guys so much. Tim, 
now that I took the hard question, you always give me the hard ones. Why don't you go ahead and hit a couple softballs? Hey, Mike, just All right? before you leave, real quick, uh, Michigan beat the 17th-ranked uh, team in the country. Who did uh, Ohio State beat? Um, Indiana. Yeah, and what were they ranked? And, if ranked? And uh, they were not ranked. Uh, absolutely. We'll play Oklahoma next week. Um, and, and, you know, Michigan, I hate them. Um, <laughs> that, I, we are starting a movement in Ohio to give Michigan back to Canada. And that's the theme. So, well, <laughs> uh, if I run for political office, that's what we're doing on Monday. I'm going to send you something I've worked up called the Mulehoff statement. So I'm going to be sending it to you. Nice. All right. Thank you we're, guys. We're actually, no, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Andy and I have worked out the suburban Columbus statement <laughs> aimed primarily by white people for white people. And you're going to love it. So that's coming too, Tim. We love you. We love Vox. Have a great day. All right. Bye you guys. Bye. Peace out. Peace. <laughs> All right. Hey, before we jump in real quick um, to my question, let me just say this about the Nashville statement. Uh, whatever you think of it, we cannot devour each other. We cannot slander each other. Uh, I know some of the writers on the Nashville Statement. One of them is a good friend of mine. Uh, one's my academic mentor. I have issues of, of how I maybe would have done things slightly differently. Uh, but these are good people who created this document and who signed this document. We have to afford goodwill to our own, even if ultimately we disagree with aspects of the content and aspects of the timing and aspects of how it was written and is it trying to do too much, perhaps. But let's be very careful how we talk about our own who are trying to step in and address very difficult cultural issues. Paul says, do not devour each other and do not slander each other. So let's be careful how we talk about the Nashville statement. And again, Mike said that at the end. He know, Mike knows one of Mike's dearest friends is a predominant signer of it. So I appreciate it at the end. He said, hey, these are good people. We just probably would have a difference of opinion of how to go about doing it. So let's afford charity to our own. Okay. All right. Question. My sermon provokes some great questions. Hi, Tim. Thank you for your message today and for your willingness to be part of the teaching team at Vox. Your message has been very thought-provoking. That's great. That's our hope, is that we would provoke conversations. Uh, and I have two questions. What about those Christians who are also ambassadors whose message is misrepresentation of Christ? Well, uh, Jesus is pretty clear about that. Um, Jesus often has a gentle communication style with people outside the Christian community, but with people that he feels are misrepresenting the gospel, are adding things to it, detracting things, or misrepresenting it, um, giving a caricature of the gospel, he actually can be quite forceful in his critique of those individuals. I think he still loves them, of course, but I think he would step in very quickly to a person who is warping the very gospel that he has given. So we, we do represent Christ, and it's a big responsibility. Remember I said in the sermon to get the message right. Uh, continue. I know many people who have come to Vox because of hurting, of hurt, they have experienced from other churches, and although I am not a millennial, I'm 41 years young, I do tend to sound similar to those you describe your students, except I feel that I could articulate my faith, the four spiritual laws, etc., but I choose not to share in those ways. It seems too preachy for me, and since I have come from a place where that has harmed me in the past, I never would want to put that on someone else. Instead, I would much rather learn to open my own personal table, like we talk about here, and get to know others in a deeper way and then share my story with them. I just don't think that trying to share Jesus because I feel guilty that I haven't reached my quota for the year is really how I want to live my life. I would totally agree with that. that, that there's not a quota. And again, Jesus' love for you is secure. But the reason we share Christ, and again, sharing Christ, what I said before, meant bodily love, is we care for the whole individual. So it absolutely is neighbor love. It's, it's being kind to individuals. It's opening your home, inviting people into your home. It is all of that. But it's inescapable, I think, when you look at the scriptures. It's also a proclamation of the gospel where you explain to a person in propositional form, here's how you actually receive Jesus and here's how you confess him as Savior. 
So I think it's both. Now, that is not to say that some of you aren't wildly gifted in one aspect or another. Some of you are amazing at the neighbor love part of it, of opening your home, being great ambassadors within your neighborhood. If somebody's sick, you're the first person at that person's door, and that's your go-to inclination. I think the Holy Spirit's giving you that go-to inclination. So go with it. I just would simply be against if a person said, but that's exclusively all I do. I'm not willing, for whatever reason, past hurts or whatever, I'm not willing to sit down and share the four spiritual law, laws of the Romans road or the gospel. That, to me, is what I'm kind of reacting against. And by the way, we have people over here who say, listen, I don't care anything about neighbor love. I just want to whip out the four spiritual laws at every chance and share the gospel. I would say to that group, you need to diversify. So I think we kind of want a person who, of course, you're going to go as the spirit leads, but you, you can, if needed, exhibited, I think, the full aspect of the gospel that Paul's talking about. So that's kind of where I try to land that plan. And all of us have been hurt by pushy people, but let's not uh, make that shy away from evangelism. Let's, let's do a better job. Let's do more like Jesus would have done it. And I think we see both in the scriptures. Okay, what I love about Vox is that we care about your story. It's not just the teaching team, it's not just Mike, it's not just Andy, it's not just the worship team, but we believe a huge part of worship, a huge part of a community, is that we get to tell our stories. So right now we have uh, Maria's going to come up to share her story, and as support, Maria, and uh, Aline's going to come up as well to be her support, right, to come on out. Oh, oh, just Maria. I'm sorry. It's you and me. It's just you That's and me. That's it. You and me. So thank you so much for being willing to do this. Okay. We so appreciate your willingness to be transparent. Thanks, Tim. Am I on? Yes, you are. Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. Before I begin, I just want to say thank you um, for having me. And the more of you that I've gotten to know over the past year, the more I realize that my story may not be so unique and I owe you my gratitude for making me feel not so alone. Thank you very much. So there's many things about uh, my childhood that I remember, but there was one defining moment that I would like to start with today. I was at the gym having fun in a preteen gymnastics class, and we were on bars. I had a blister on my hand. I took my turn, and I, my, that blister ripped open, blood, pus, raw skin, dead skin, and um, this is called a rip. This was my first rip. My coach gave me a few minutes, and she spoke very clearly and deliberately to me, and she said, this is the point where you decide. You decide how good you want to be, so it's okay if you want to go in the locker room and wash your hands. Or you decide to go in the locker room and get tape, tape it up, and keep practicing. And I knew with all of my heart that I wanted to be the best, as much as any seven-year-old could know. On that, on that day, my intensity for life was born. On that day, I knew I was different. Gymnasts are strong. We are determined. And above all else, we train every single day to be perfect. We control our bodies and we control much more than just our bodies. So you probably can understand how that leap of faith that God desires from us, that leap when we exchange fear for trust and love, that leap for somebody like me feels illogical. In the gym, the harder you work, the more you improve. I wanted religion to fit into this mold. I went to church as a kid, but honestly, even back then, I wanted Sunday school to be more about the lesson and less about an ark or a whale or an apple. Because I knew I was a kid, but I wasn't dumb. Fast forward through a childhood that was disciplined, moral, and happy, but not Christ-centered. Church was more like a thing we did each week. The thing that my life centered around was gymnastics. I ate, slept, dreamt. I woke up every single day for gymnastics. So in the midst of a back injury, when a girlfriend started talking to me about a personal relationship with Christ, I knew exactly what she was talking about. It was that relationship I had with gymnastics. I was equipped with determination, dedication, 
and a strong work ethic from my years of training to be an Olympic gymnast. And now God was calling me to use this passion to glorify him. I dove into leadership positions in my church, missions, projects, and I ended up at a Christian university. All the while trying to achieve or accomplish or win my faith. My life experiences up until this point had taught me that the harder I work, the more apt the pieces of my life would fall into place. I left university the most well-versed in Christianity and the farthest away from God. Instead of having answers, I had more questions. And then on a fateful day back in the 90s, I walked into my first yoga class. It was like I was surrounded by a wall, the bricks of my life trapping me, and yoga helped me to see that wall from a different perspective. My mind, spirit, and body connected in class. But yoga was not mainstream. I was accused by my Christian friends of being new age, of being a heretic. So why did something that felt so right that everybody around me was telling me was so wrong? With the peace I found in my practice, I was empowered to be a better person. I wanted to know more, but the people who had grown to depend on me to be their Christian leader were not okay with this. And if you've known me for any length of time, you know that the harder I'm pushed, the harder I push back, or I just shut down as a defense mechanism. I didn't understand these energies that were trying to clip my wings. I'm a free spirit. So logically, like all of you would do, I moved to Central America. (laughs) I needed to be free. Nobody knew me where I was going, and I could completely recreate myself. I dove into Taoism, Buddhism, Confucianism, reading everything I could get my hands on about Eastern philosophies. My life was surrounded by acupuncturists, yogis, healers, poets, extreme athletes, philanthropists, people doing amazing things with their lives because of the depth at which they understood existence. I felt healthy, balanced, and peaceful. The words Christianity and Christ did not touch my lips unless I was speaking of my past. I know and knew God during this time, and I spent time with him at the river, spent time with him in nature, and on my yoga mat. I just couldn't, in my compassionate, rational mind, belong to a movement of people that pointed so many fingers, that made so many people feel so wrong for not being like them. Eventually, after much wrestling, I simplified the way I looked at religion. It was like a mountain where God resided at the top. Let's say Catholics took donkeys up the mountain, Jews rode mountain bikes, Buddhists crawled, Muslims raced. We all were climbing the mountain to be closer to our higher power in search of redemption. So why do we let semantics separate us? Why can't we just all be our best selves? So this is where my relationship with organized religion rested for many years. Until one day, I was, found myself in the pew of a church, honestly there taking advantage of a free hour of childcare. For a single mom, this is a rare gym. And the pastor stood up and said, Christians are our worst enemies. Who would want to be like this? Us. Who would want to be like us? And I thought, uh, with a lot of excitement, like, finally, somebody willing to be honest. At this point, I had completely deconstructed my faith. I believed all of those Christians, all of those people that told me they were praying for my salvation because I believe in reincarnation um, or doubted modern church's interpretation of some biblical stories. I've always known God and mostly believed Christ died for my sins. But there were still so many pieces that didn't fit. There was an afternoon about a year ago. I was driving home uh, from work listening to a podcast. I was listening to Science Mike. And I swear this podcast was uh, recorded just for me. The question he was answering had to do with other religions, the good parts of these religions, and the good people in these religions. Without mutilating his eloquent answer, I heard, what, I heard him said, what, what I heard him say floored me. He acknowledged and aligned these philosophies 
of other religions with the Christian faith. I drove home with tears streaming down my face, thanking God for this answer. It was a feeling, it was that feeling of being understood and validated after so many years of feeling so wrong. But there's still a big missing piece. So I believe in God, I'm a good person, but what about the heart part? Mike keeps talking about Jesus. In fact, every hard question he answers, he brings it back to Jesus. He challenges us to know Jesus by reading the Gospels, by spending time with him like you would a new friend that you want to get to know. Sounds simple. And then Carrie walks up on the stage, on the stage and, it, and she asks, and it felt like me directly, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you know how much he wants you to feel loved by him? Do you really know his redemption? Because it is liberating, and it is the reason for our joy. I wanted to believe it, and there are so many of you that have shown me this uncalculated love. So what's holding me back? Why do I feel like I can see others walking in freedom, but I'm one step behind them? The obvious reason is fear. But this is much easier to admit than relinquish. So my fears keep me in isolation. I know I have to exchange the fear for love. But who feels worthy of this love? I don't. So this is where I am, holding on to my fear with my hands open to my Savior, but still trying to convince myself to hand it over. My mantra lately has been, God, here's my fear. And for a long while, I was waiting for him to say, good, now here's my love in exchange. Until I stopped waiting and started listening. When I truly listened, I heard him say, my child, I love you. Thank you. Um, you know, we all come in crazy busy uh, with this Labor Day weekend. Maybe life's even more crazy with relatives and families and parties. We need time to decompress. And uh, a wonderful way of doing that is through worship, is through focusing through music, through prayer, through meditation as we sit here. Uh, because Carrie has a very challenging word for us today. Um, that I think we need some time to say, Spirit, am I going to be open to what she has to say in a few minutes? So prepare your hearts, and in two songs, Kara's going to come up and talk to us. Family, I am so happy to be here. Really, I am. I get the great honor and privilege of getting to speak all over the world, which has been weird. Um, but... But I get to come here, and you guys have now become my family. You've become my church family and a place where I can kind of wrestle out some of the things that I'm, I'm going through. Most places that I go and speak at, they say, this is what we want you to speak on. And I always put my little fix on it. But uh, they're always like, ooh, that was a lot. <laughs> and then they don't ask me back. Uh, but... <laughs> Here, I can come and just kind of say, this is what I'm wrestling with. And, and so uh, I just love that. I love that you guys and gals um, are just wanting to be here because you want to talk about real things and you want to see real people wrestling through real stuff. And that makes me so happy. I haven't been on church staff in like five years, um, and I didn't ever think I would be again. <laughs> and not because I don't love the church, just I'm busy, I got a lot going on. Uh, but this was an offer that I couldn't say no to because of you guys and what God's doing here. So my name's Carrie Garcia. I don't, I'm one of the teaching pastors here, um, and I get the honor of doing that. So thank you for showing up. I'm just always surprised. Like, we made it another week, so... Awesome. We're still here. Okay. So I guess I'm still preaching, right? <laughs> People showed up. Uh, I, uh, 
I have my son, I have, a, I have three kids. I have one named Ryder, he's 12. I have a middle son named Rocco, he's 10. And I have a daughter named Roma, she's six. Yes, we're, we're riding, we're rocking, we're roaming, we're on the move. Um, I didn't really plan it that way, but it just kind of, it's so befitting of my family. My middle son is, you know, my husband is 5'5", five five and so am I. I never look 5'5", five because five my legs are ridiculously long compared to my body, and I'm always in heels, but I am only 5'5", five five, and so is my husband. Uh, and so our kids, kids are smaller. Yeah, they're not big. They're not big kids. Uh, and Rocco is, uh, he's, he's he, I call him my mighty nugget. He's very, he's small, but he's, he's mighty. And um, there's this kid, he came home one day, this is when he was in, I think, first grade. I, could, I was trying to remember if it was second or first grade, but I think it was first grade. And he comes home and he's like, man, there's this kid, his name's Liam. He's like really giving me a hard time. He's calling me short. Now you need to know, I love Jesus, but you mess with my, I'm from Oakland. You know what I'm saying? Like if you mess with my kid, you can take the girl out to Oakland and love, have her love Jesus, but you can't take Oakland out of me. You know what I mean? So I was like, he's what? I was like, what is he saying to you? Well, he's like calling me tiny and I was in line and he kind of shoulder checked me. I was like, he shoulder checked you? I was like, oh no. It's like, I'm taking, I'm taking Rocco to school today. I never take Rocco to school because I don't get up that early. Mario does that. So I was like, he was like, whoa, you're up this morning? I was like, I'm taking you to school today. I go into school, I walk in, and you know, Rocco's getting his backpack. There's like a whole routine. I was like, hey, hey, friend, hey, friend, hey, teacher, thank you for watching my kids. I love you forever. Uh, and then I see Liam, and Liam walks by. Frickin' Liam, dude. <laughs> Liam walks by, I was like, hey, Liam. I mean, I wanna love Jesus, I do. But in this moment, I was gonna take out a first grader. <laughs> I was like, hey, Liam, how you doing today? And he's like, yeah, uh-huh, I'm good. I was like, you know Rocco? He was like, no, I know Rocco. And I go like this, I go, and his dad left because he dropped him off, stupid dad. <laughs> he knew it was about to happen. I was like, Liam, I got eyes on you, Liam. And he's looking at me, I go, I know that you and Rocco are gonna be really good friends after today, aren't you? And he's looking at me and literally just kind of like walked away and I go, all right, Rocco, I'll see you later. And I look at Liam, I go, Liam. <laughs> that. I'm not kidding, Liam never messed with Rocco again. I'll take out a first grader, I don't care. I was not teaching my son how to love Liam. I was teaching him like, hey, violence works. You know, like if you don't like something, you go toe to toe with the first grader, no regrets, you know? And, he, and even Rocco was kind of like, are you, are you supposed to do this, mom? Like even my first grader was kind of like, this is probably not appropriate. I was like, it doesn't matter. You know, and, and I was like, I'm struggling because as I'm trying to teach my kid, like how to love people, you know, and be a good Christian, I'm going to get in a fight with a first grader. You know, like that's, that's just real Vox right there. You know what I mean? Like that's just real Vox stuff right there. That's your pastor. I hope you come back. Uh, but, you know, as we got home, I actually started thinking about, I was like, all right, I need to like talk with Rocco a little bit about this. And I'm chatting with him and I go, Rocco, why do you think Liam is being so mean to you? Like, are you mean to him? He's like, no, I don't do anything. I go, why do you think, what do you think his deal is? And Rocco, God bless him. He goes, I don't know, mommy. I think his heart's sad. Oh, right? That's those moments where you're like, I'm doing okay. Like, because every other day you're like, this was the worst day ever. I'm glad they didn't die. But pretty much short of that, I'm a horrible mom. You know, it's just so hard being a parent. And I was like, you're right. His heart is breaking. And there's been a lot of things that have been going on recently that have broken my heart, that have gotten me to a point where not only is my heart broken, I feel justified in my anger. I feel justified in my hatred and I don't even like to say that word because if we love Jesus, we're not supposed to say the word hatred, like we don't have hatred. But if we're being honest inside of us, hatred looks like disgust. Hatred looks like I don't want to have relationship with you. I don't like you. I don't want you to go to hell, but I want you to experience it here on earth. <laughs> you know, like I don't want you fully in the fire, but I want you kind of hot while you're here. That's, that's the honest, real truth. And, and, and I'm wrestling this out and I go to staff meeting and I'm like, hey, I need to talk about this. And they're like, okay, you need to talk about it. So this message is more for me 
than it is for you. I hope you get something out of it. But I needed to work this out for myself. I'm going to read some scripture today, and it's kind of a long ver- uh, a chapter. I am going to read a whole chapter, guys, uh, from Acts 10. You can follow along on the screen, but I'm going to actually read this thing. I know it's weird. It's called a Bible with pages, um, and I'm going to read from it. So anybody here has one of those, you get a gold star. Um, But for the rest of you, you can just follow along on the screen. This goes um, in Acts 10, uh, and it starts like this in verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army official. His name was Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man who feared the God of Israel, as did his entire household. He gave generously to charity and was a man who regularly prayed to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he has this vision, which he saw an angel of God coming down toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Because that's how angels would probably talk. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have not gone unnoticed by God. Now send some men down to Joppa or Joppa, don't know, to find a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with this man, Simon, a leather worker. Uh, He is going to, I want him to come and visit you. The angel left. Cornelius called two of his household servants and sent them on their way to get Peter. Cornelius is not only just a Roman, he is a Roman official. He has people under him. He's one of the highest ranking soldiers in the Roman army. I don't know why all of a sudden he is now following God. It doesn't really say that. I don't know. But something in him has grown tired of the pagan worship that is happening in Rome. And he has become a good guy. He sees the God of Israel. He doesn't know about Jesus very much. Uh, He doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, um, but he knows, I want to be a good man. He gives to charity, but God is saying, hey, this is not enough. Um, You're going to need to know some more information. You need to know the very person that will save you, and Jesus wants, God wants to uh, give this information to Cornelius. So he's going to go send two servants to Peter. Meanwhile, we're over in Joppa, where Joppa, where uh, Peter's hanging out. The next day, Cornelius sends his messengers, that's verse 9, and uh, to him. So Peter now is over in his hometown. Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It's about noon, and he was really hungry. While he was waiting for lunch to be prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky opened up, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners, In the sheet was all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Never, Lord, Peter declared, I have never in my life eaten anything forbidden by our God or by our Jewish laws. The voice spoke again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. The same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was pulled up into the heavens. Peter was very perplexed. He didn't get a lot of information at this point. He just sees this. God speaks to him. And and just so you know, the Bible is like a highlight reel. So it's not like Jesus and God are speaking to people all the time. We see the highlight reel of that. So it just seems like angels and God are just going around speaking to everybody all the time. He's not. There's not. It's, it's rare. That's why most of the time when an angel speaks to somebody, he's like, don't be afraid. It's like angel 101. Hey, don't be, because everyone's like, what is this? You know, it's not normal. We read it like it's normal. Like, oh, there's Peter talking to an angel and God again. That's not how it is, okay? As often as you hear from an angel is about as often as they would, okay? So most of you never, and I mean, or you're, you know, got something going on, and I'm down with that. You know what? I'm, I'm for a little bit of crazy, so it's okay. So, so, here he has this vision and he doesn't understand it. And Jesus, God, angel are always very clear and directive. But in this case, it's not that clear. He's just like, what the heck? A sheet with some meat and he's like, eat it. And Peter, his whole life has been according to the law. Jesus is constantly trying to change Peter, get him to be counterintuitive to what he's known, the religion he's seen. He's trying to constantly get Peter and the other disciples to understand Jesus's love, Jesus's heart in a bigger construct. But it's not so easy, right? I'm not going to eat that food. So we pick up here in verse uh, 22. 21. So Peter went down and said, oh, oh no, sorry, let's, let's skip up. Meanwhile, verse 19, you're doing so good, tech guy. 
I'm all over the place here. Verse 19, meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit says to him again, very clear directive, thank you, Holy Spirit, three men have come looking for you. Go down and go with them without hesitation. Don't ask any questions. I've ordained this. Just do it. All right. All is well, for I have sent them. Verse 21, so Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout man who fears the God of Israel and is well respected by the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to send for you so you can go to the house and give him a message. And I just, I was reading this. This has not really anything to do with our message, but um, like those guys were like his servants and stuff. And I was thinking, man, they don't even know what's about to happen. They don't even know what they're about. They are a bystander to the story, and yet their life is going to radically change because of the faith of their master. And I, it really doesn't have a lot to do with the story, but, but just as a side note, you have so much influence that you don't even know, especially you men who are in the workplace and, and higher up in that workplace, they're watching watching how you live your lives. They're watching how you speak. And that doesn't mean you need to be perfect. In fact, don't be. It's better if you're not. But, but, but they're watching. And lives can be directly influenced and impacted by just watching. That's crazy. Not part of the message, but it's just cool. Uh, as we go on here, also I need glasses, okay? So that's just a thing. I'm just working through it. It's a, it's a humbling thing. I don't know. I just, anyway, side note. All right, 26. So, uh, so Peter, nope, 22, 23. So Peter invited the men to his, I literally can't see the numbers. So we're just going to guess. It's in the 20s, tech person. 23. So Peter invited the men into to be guests for the night. The next day they went with them, accompanied by some of the other believers. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was sitting with him. Now Cornelius goes on to tell him, you know, all the things that have happened. But before he does that, I love this part. Verse 25, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius falls to the floor before him in worship. And Peter pulls him up. Stand up. I'm a human being just like you. I love that. Uh, what are you doing? Get up. That's just weird. Um, and, and I love that. And Cornelius got up and they talked together and went outside. And Peter told him, you know, it's against my Jewish law to even be here, to come even into a Gentile's home. But God has shown me that I should never think of anyone as impure. So I've come as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent me. And now Cornelius goes on to explain, I had this vision. This guy, it even says this guy in shiny clothes showed up, which I love that. I'm like, do angels wear glitter? What's happening? Um, that's just a fun thing for me to think of. Uh, and so in shiny clothes, and he starts to explain what happened. And Peter's like, okay, well... I've also had this kind of crazy vision, um, and, and, and he says in verse 33, so I sent for you at once, Cornelius says, and it was good for you to come. Now here we are. We're waiting before God to hear the message the Lord says that you have given him. And then Peter goes on to give him the good news, and it's not that difficult. He just says the truth. He doesn't go in like, a hey, Gentile, you need to get... Circumstance, you know, he doesn't go into that. Uh, he doesn't go in. You got to stop eating what you're eating. You know, if you're going to love Jesus, you've got to obey this, this, and this. Um, just so you know, that's how we roll. No, he just states the facts. It says, I see very clearly that God, and I love this verse in verse 34. Then Peter replies, I see very clearly that God does not show partiality. In every nation, to every nation, he accepts those who fear him and does what's right. How is Peter thinking of this right now? Because, you know, we, we kind of like spiritualize Peter. And Peter's an idiot. And, and, and he says a lot of stupid things. And he does a lot of stupid. I mean, he's the very one that like came toe to toe with Jesus. Like, I'll never turn my back on you. He's like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's Peter. Peter's that guy. I love that. I love that Peter's just a knucklehead because I get that. But Peter, you know, when my son is being attacked... I want to take out a first grader. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I sit. And Peter has to go into not only a Gentile, which just, that's just weird socially and for him, but he wants to go in. He has to go into a Gentile who is a Roman, not just a Roman, but a Roman soldier, not just a soldier, but a general who has people under him who have committed atrocities, evil 
was plagued within the Roman culture. I mean, pagan worship, demonic activity, slaughtering of people, and slaughtering of his best friend and his savior. You see, this isn't just like, oh, Peter's being obedient and he's going to his loving his neighbor. You know, hey, neighbor, let's come to know Jesus. No. What is being asked of him is far greater than what we even read right here if we understand the context of what's being said and understand the human nature of who Peter is. Peter doesn't glorify it. He doesn't exaggerate it. He doesn't put his own spin on it. He doesn't put the, you know, the laws that, that, that uh, Cornelius should obey. No, he just says, I am sure, verse 36, you have heard about the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened all through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John the Baptist began preaching? And no doubt you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Israel and in Jerusalem. And that's so key. Because he's saying, it's not just something I've heard, it's something I've seen. I've seen this happen. He says, they put him to death by crucifying him, but God raised him to life three days later. Then God allowed him to appear, not just to general public, but to those whom God had chosen beforehand to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This is my story. This is what I've seen. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is ordained of God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one of all the prophets. He's the one that all the prophets have been testifying about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven in the name of Jesus. And here's verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit falls into the room. Oh, I just love that. Uh, all who heard the message, the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles too, and there could be no doubt about it, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. I mean, this is like just straight up revival happening in front of them, and Peter's like, oh, he's just saying the truth, and it's just change is happening in this space. It's, it's unbelievable. And Peter asked, can anyone object to them being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay for several days. I'm reading this, and I look at this conversion, right? We see Cornelius, and we're like, man, what a great conversion. What a jerk. And now he's not. You know? Well, how much evil, and now he's not. To be honest with you, that conversion is... It's an easy conversion. His life was dark and now it's light. It's not that hard because when you live in hatred and then you experience love, you just want it. The conversion that gets me and had to sit with me was the conversion of Peter. You see, Peter was justified in hating Cornelius because he puts him in a group of people that are awful people. He goes, I don't have any, I don't need to love them. You know, look at the stories over the past couple weeks that we've been sitting in, carry someone's burden, be an ambassador for Jesus. That's all fine and dandy until you ask me to love my enemy. I don't want to love my enemy. The conversion that happened in Peter to me was so far greater than the conversion that happened there. Not that one is better than the other, but one is harder. Because we like to have our walls and we like to say, no, that's wrong and that's wrong. And it's easier if you're out there because when you're in here, it hurts too much. It makes me have to sit and wrestle with the things that I believe about you. See, I don't speak this because it's just something that came on my heart. As I watch what happened in Charlottesville, I'm going to be honest with you. I was angry. I started to not only become angry, I started to become bitter. How could this be happening? This is, this is just insane to me. And I'm watching way too many documentaries, <laughs> way too many. And I'm just fixated. And the hate is starting to grow. And I can feel that person in me like I wanted to defend Rocco. And I want to stand up. And I want to say, that's wrong. And you are horrible. And I'm not going to lie. It is wrong. And it is horrible. 
but it started to become bondage for me. And I started to realize hate is taking root within my heart. And God speaks to my heart because I got to pray. Because sometimes when I'm just being a jerk, which is like every day, I'm like, I don't pray. And he takes me to this passage. And he goes, Carrie, I love them. I love them. What? How could you love them? They are evil and wrong and they're hurting people. He goes, I know. I love them. You see, the very thing, Carrie, they have become the very people that they were hated by. You have had the opportunity to become the very person that you are loved by. They haven't had that opportunity yet. He asked me to go and look up Christopher Cantwell, who's one of the leaders of the alt-right. His face is so angry. And I read about him. And I find out that he had a really affluent life, and then his dad lost his job. And then they were so poor, he had to mow lawns, and they could barely make any money. And, and, and I'm not giving you a pity party on them. I'm just letting you know that the hate started to build as you start to hear his story. He was like, all these rich jerks, all this. And you can see the hate building up because of the rejection that he received from the previous community he was in, and then now he became nothing. I read about James Alex Field, who drove a car into a group of people. Who does this? As I read his story and I see, man, his dad died when he was a kid. He's a baby. He's raised by his mom. He's a lot of insecurities and anger and loneliness, ostracized in school. And to be honest with you, I don't want to care about his story. I don't. Because what they did was wrong. And they're hurting people that I love. They're hurting a community of people that I care about. This is not God. This is not how God would do this. And he goes, Carrie, stop. I've got that part. I'm taking care of their hearts. But here is your responsibility. I need you to go. I need you to see them the way that I see them. Why? He goes, because you're becoming exactly what you hate in them and it has bondage on you. I want you free. And the freedom doesn't come by justifiably justifying your hatred towards people. <sighs> so counterintuitive. I don't wanna go. I don't wanna talk. He asked me to just see their stories. Now, am I gonna ever have a conversation with them? No. Do I need to take on the KKK? Probably not. I'm probably not the one to do that. Clearly, <laughs> it would not go well. Do I stand up for things when they're wrong? Absolutely. But do I allow it to take root in my heart to where I say, you're not worth the very love that was given to me? You see, God found me in a very dark place doing things that most people will never do turning their, my back on him more times than I can think. Hating so many people around me, hating my parents, hating my mom especially. And he goes, and I changed you. What was it, Carrie, that changed you? It was the love. It was his love. So what can we do? We sit and we ask ourselves these questions. What do we do with the enemies in our lives? Maybe it's a people group. Maybe it's a person. But I promise you, there is two battles being waged within your heart. One that says love and one that says fear. One that feeds hate and one that feeds freedom. If we are going to be the church, the church that actually makes a difference, it's easy to love your neighbor easier. Some neighbors are idiots, but we got to love them. But it's easier. But we start making a difference when we commit to going, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I need more of you so that I can love my enemy. 
And it's not just so we can be a great ambassador for Jesus. That is part of it. Because you're the only voice he has on this earth. Who's going to speak truth to the people that are growing up and being raised in hatred? Who's ever going to be the voice of reason for them and love for them? Who will ever be the catalyst? So Peter has to go. Peter didn't say, and Jesus didn't say, Cornelius, come to me. I'll tell you everything you need to know. No. How humbling is it to break every law and every boundary and Peter gets up and goes to the very enemy that killed his best friend, that brutally assaulted them. And just so you know, Romans aren't about Peter either. It's not like everyone's like, oh, we're so cool with this whole Christian thing that's going on. No. He's going there. He goes. You want to make a difference? You got to go. You got to sit What did Peter first do? He first asked Cornelius, why did you have me here? He didn't come with his agenda first. Hey, I came in here because God told me to. Let me tell you about all the spiritual laws. No. So why am I here? I want to hear your story. I want to hear where you've come from. Man, that makes a difference. You want to hear from me? Yeah, I want to hear from you. And the whole time you're going to be like, I so disagree with this. (laughs) This story is crazy, right? You sit there and you listen, and all of a sudden, the dividing factor that divides us from another people group or from your mom or from your dad or from your coworker or from your spouse, that dividing fact that says, that's my enemy now, humanizes them. And you start to see them in the radical, scandalous way that Jesus sees people. It's radical. We love the love of Jesus till we're forced to love the people that we don't want to love. We love that Jesus loved us and found us. I'm saved by grace. Hallelujah. But then when we see someone like Christopher Canwell, we go, no, no, no. Yet the very breath of Jesus, while he's hanging on the cross, while he is tortured and beaten, you can't even recognize him. He looks to his left and a criminal, you don't just get put on a cross because you stole a piece of candy. You get put on a cross because you are a bad person, unless you're Jesus. That was a whole other story for another day. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, what? Okay. Jesus looks over, and the guy says, he, there, there's no admonishment of, I've done all these things, Lord. Please, I want to turn or burn. You know, he doesn't say that. He's just is like, I believe that you're the son of God. Don't forget me when you go to heaven. Jesus, in some of his last dying breaths, offers salvation to the most unlovely and the most unkind. You want to love Jesus differently? You want to have a different kind of church? You want to change the world? You got to start with you. You start loving the people that you want to love. And it's for your freedom. Not only do we go, not only do we listen, but we got to share. Got to share our story. You see, Peter didn't just say, here's what happened. He was like, I was witness to it. This is how it affected my life. This is my story. Nobody can take your story. And how do we know that Cornelius' heart was changed? Because Peter stayed. He asked him to stay. And he listened even longer. I know for some of you, you look at this message and you're like, okay. I guess maybe I can love people on the TV screen a little more and maybe pray for them. It makes it a little more personal, a little more uncomfortable when I say, who's on your sheet? Who is on your sheet that God's saying, you got to let this go? You got to forgive them. You got to see them the way that I see them. Now, my mom never apologized for being a bad mommy. But forgiveness and seeing her the way God seed her was for my freedom. It wasn't for hers. And it started to teach me what it means to love radically. To love without abandon. It started to show me, as the people fill the seats of the places that I speak, it started to show me how Jesus really loves people like really loves them. But it all started with me. 
because there was something clenching my heart. And we can get into boundaries and we can get into toxic relationships and I know I'll get lots of questions and it's fine, bring them. But can we just simplify it a little bit and not overthink it too much? If, there, if you need boundaries, have them. Doesn't mean you can't love. Doesn't mean you can't forgive. Who's on your sheet? If you were asked and a sheet was come down, who would be the person or people group? I mean, and get honest. That would make your conversion. Not the people around you that you need to save. Who would be on your sheet that's God saying, you need to be converted in this place for your freedom and for the radical love that needs to be shared. That's what makes you different. That's the deconstruction of church. It's just love. Radical, scandalous, sometimes painful love. Who would be on your sheet? There's somebody, I know, I can see some of you squirming. I don't want to love her. I don't really like what he did. And I get it. But God wants you to step into something today, bigger, bigger than even you know. So we're going to do something um, just to encourage a response for you. Because this is all fine if I'm talking at you. But I want the Holy Spirit to really speak to you. And it's personal. So when we partake of these elements, as Izzy comes up and we're going to do some time of worship, you're going to want to distract yourself and not talk. I mean, and talk. Or, or just see what someone's wearing or what's going on. And I'm going to ask for the next 15 minutes or so, we're almost out of here. The next 15 minutes or so, do yourself a favor. In the scripture, it says, search me and know me. Find any part of me that needs to be healed. Ask him to lift up that stone and reveal to you who's on your sheet. Who is it? It is for your freedom. It is to show the radical love of Jesus. You get an opportunity to respond to this today. As you come and partake of the elements that are up here, as we take on the body of Christ that was bruised and killed for our sake, his blood that was shed that cleansed all of us from unrighteousness, this place that makes everything even. You see, everything is even right here because of the love. As you take that, I want to encourage you to take one of these little papers and you're going to take it back to your seat. I think there's even pencils up there. They're right there where the, the prayer things are. You take a little pencil and you take a paper. And I want you to write who's on your sheet. Ah, I know, accountability. And I want you to write it down. I want you to just fold it up and you're going to keep it. You don't have to show it to anybody. Your spouse asks you about it. Say, no, no, she told me I didn't have to share with you. And you're going to take it. And this week, I want you to just pray about it. Maybe it's your daughter that you just need to love a little more. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a people group. Maybe your conversion is God today. Maybe you just need to love God more and you need to receive his love more. But you feel really hurt by him. Put it on there. Don't leave here without God asking God to search you and know you and to free you from any bondage that you have. Would you stand with me? I know, I know he doesn't ask you to do that a lot, but I do. I don't know. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray, and Izzy's going to come up, and we're just going to have a time of reflection. God, I just pray for this time, Lord. As I made everybody stand, and they're all so uncomfortable, it's good. Uh, I just thank you, God, that we have an opportunity to be able to come before you. God, I want to thank you for our community pastors that are here. I want to thank you, God, that they are here and committed to hearing the hearts of the people that are here. So, God, I just pray that if even somebody can't write anything down, but something is stirring in their heart and they just need prayer for it, I pray that they would be brave to go talk to the people that are our community pastors here today. And they're over in the corner, just so you know. <laughs> I pray, God, that you would reach into our hearts and help us write down these, these people this person, this people group 
that is holding us back from really experiencing the radical love of you, the freedom that comes when we love like Jesus loves. Pray for this time right now as we take of your body and your blood. May it remind us, how can we not love when you first loved us with such a radical love? Free us, God, today. Bring healing today. Let this be the start of the catalyst of having some tougher conversations with you. May we not leave here the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I know, I leave some of you reeling. I like pretty packages and nice bows on the end of messages, but sometimes it's just not like that, so I encourage you to sit in the tension of maybe where you're at today and just know that's okay. But don't leave here without knowing that God radically, recklessly, and scandalously loves you, even when it's hard to love the people on your sheet. Okay? Don't leave here without knowing that. If you need to talk to somebody, that's what I love about our church. They're not just people with an orange lanyard on because we're like, oh, you look good today. We'll put that on you. Um, they're actually trained community pastors that share our heart and love you radically. So if you're working through something today and you need to talk to somebody, don't leave here without doing it. Go and chat with them. Let them pray for you. Let them listen. Um, let them love on you. You might need it today because today was kind of hard. It's kind of hard. Also, uh, we need your participation financially. So if you're into that and want to keep us alive, uh, there's boxes back there and you can offer that. I'd like to say a blessing over you and let you guys get out of here. God, I just thank you, Lord. For today. I thank you that you love us so much that you don't want to keep us stagnant. You don't want to keep us in a place of hurting. You came for two reasons, to bring freedom for us and intimacy with us. So God, as you are stirring within us and having to maybe us having to face off some things that are difficult. I pray that you would be with us and be with them and be with me every step of the way. Pray that you'd bless their marriages, bless their relationships, bless their hurts, heal their hurts, God. And let them know that you are with them recklessly, radically, scandalously in all that they bring to the table with you. I just thank you, God, for your love for us. Bless them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. Love you guys. See you next week, hopefully. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.